I'd like you to turn to the in your New Testament to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And as you turn there, I'm going to read part of that text in a little bit. I want to give, uh, just start with a, uh, with a story that is powerful, speaks of the power and the grace of God. More than two centuries ago, a young man named John, who was a small child of just six years old, lost his mother. His mother passed away and left him virtually as an orphan. And the reason I say he's virtually as an orphan because his father was a sea captain and would be gone for months and months at a time. This young man kind of grew up sort of kind of shunted around between different family members and no real guidance in his life, no real home. At the age of 11 years old, when he was 11 years old, he joined his father on the ocean, on the ship, and uh, went to sailing. He eventually started to go along with kind of the wrong crowd, not just kind of, it was the wrong crowd. And he fell into varieties of sin, varieties of wickedness. And in fact, uh, some of it was so vile that even his father disowned him. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. John would continue to sink even lower and lower into sin. And, to, he, and then he himself became a ship's captain. And his cargo was humans. He sold slaves to various ports and people. He was a cruel man. His life was so filled, so packed with sin that he himself had now become a slave to this sin. Even though he felt like he would like to get out of it, he couldn't. It had consumed him. It had surrounded him. It had covered him and he had no way to escape. He met some Christian people, some Christian people that handed him some literature, which he thought was a joke. But he said, I'll take this and I'll read it just for the fun of it, because I don't believe any of it. And that's what he did. He read some of it, not all of it, because he wanted to just create an opportunity to laugh at. However, the Spirit of God began to work. See, this is the fun part. The Spirit of God can take a small little thing of Scripture and begin to work in people's lives and people's hearts in powerful ways. That's why church is so important. That's why ministry, these young people that are going to Cincinnati, it's so important. Because they're, they're, they're going to be planting some seeds. They're going, to, they're going to be touching some people's lives. Maybe like this young guy named John. And it may not happen in front of them, but it will happen. God will, God will work in that environment. And his spirit has the opportunity to do transformation. One day he was on the deck of his ship. It was a violent storm. 
little ship was being tossed around. It was, it was tough. Even John, who is now a seasoned sea captain, felt like they were in imminent danger. And at that point, a rogue wave hit the side of the ship. And it literally swept John right off of the ship's deck and into the water. And he felt himself, he felt that he, that he was losing his opportunity to gain a breath and he was struggling in, the, in, a, in a violent ocean. He said, I felt like I saw things in my mind, things of my life that I'd done, things that, that were sinful, things that were vile. He said, it passed before me. And then, and then, another wave hit John as he bobbed out in the ocean trying to, trying to maintain his head above the waves and it swept him right back on the ship. He landed on the deck. And on that deck, in that terrifying moment, he said, that's enough. And on that ship's deck that was continuing to be tossed in the sea, John Newton cried out to God at the age of 39. And he was saved by the mercy and the grace of God. The person who wrote the song we just sung, it's familiar, you, many of you know this. It was John Newton. And without a question, the song Amazing Grace is one of the most sung and probably one of the most beloved songs that you can find anywhere in the world. John Newton, the guy that was so filled with sin, so vile, that even his own father said, I don't want anything to do with you. And yet God wanted something to do with John Newton. And he saved him. He took him out of the ship and brought him into fields of ministry and things like that. And he wrote that song. You know, folks, I'm reminded of what God said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. This isn't my text, but let me remind you of it. It says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Craig, while you were yet a sinner and all messed up in your life, Christ died for you. While Dennis and Joe Niles were all messed up in their lives and didn't care about God at all, Christ died for us. Pastor Russ, while you were all messed up in sin, Christ died for you, and he transforms our life. He makes everything new. That's his word. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We don't get just a makeover it's not just a little do-over on the outside. God gives us a new heart. It, because from out of the heart grow the issues of life. God knows that. In fact, God wrote that. He says, he says you don't need just a new hairdo. You don't just need a, a better set of clothes. You just don't need to act a little bit better or different or whatever it might be. He says, you need a whole new heart. And I'm going to give you a new heart that will beat within your life. And it will give you power. It will give you the opportunity to live for God rather than live by sin and be trapped by sin. Now my text. You might think this is an odd text, but 
I could have chosen probably 100 texts for this message. But I wanted to talk about this one in particular. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the, pardon me, moreover the law entered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You got it? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace is bigger than sin. Grace is more powerful than the grip of sin on people's lives. Grace. Verse 21 says, So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's understand something here. I want to give you a little little teaching here just for a moment. A little minute teaching here. Let's understand this about the law. This is what God uses to reveal sin. You know what the law is? It's like a mirror. We don't, you know what? I woke up the other morning and I'd had a really great night's sleep and everything. I think I made, a, made, a, made one turn in the middle of the night and boy, I was just, it was one of the best nights of sleep I've had in ages. And I got up, I felt good and everything. And I walked into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror. Oh, man. Oh. Oh, my goodness. That's why I got a haircut. I said, this can't be, this is no good. My hair was standing just kind of. I mean, it looked bad. And I. And I, I took a comb, and I, it still looked bad. So I wore a hat then. You know, you know, you can hide a lot under a hat. And I needed to hide a lot. But you know what? That mirror, that mirror is kind of like uh, the law. It shows us what we really are. You know what? I didn't know I had bad hair day. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know my pants were on backwards or something. I didn't know my shirt was inside out or anything like that. So when I look into the mirror, the mirror is like the law. You know, I hear people say, well, I'm not a person of the law. I'm a man of grace. That's real good too. But if you don't have the law hanging around a little bit here and there, you're going to be a goofed up looking person too. It reveals sin, but you know what? The law cannot forgive sin. It just can't do it. Cannot forgive sin. The speed limit sign on Interstate 80 says it's 70 miles an hour. And what that means is you can drive up to 70 miles an hour and be legal, okay? Up to that point. If that sign wasn't there, there would be people who would say, well, I could drive 90 miles an hour. I could drive 100 miles an hour or whatever they wanted to do. And so that sin, that, 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 that sign becomes essentially the law. And if you go over that, you break the law, and guess what happens? In your rearview mirror are the disco lights coming down the line. And this guy's getting out, and he's writing a ticket, and you're going to shell out a probably 100 bucks or more. And if you're smart, if you're smart off to him, he's going to give you vehicle one unbelievable inspection and everything else. Why? Because you broke the law. 
you don't break the law, the guy with the disco lights doesn't stop you. You just wave at him. Hi. How many broke the law this week? Oh, one, two. Hardly anybody back in that area, and almost nobody over here. Wow. I'll pray for you at the end of the service. <laughs> I'm switching my whole message to telling the truth. I hope you love the words in verse 20. These words are great. But where sin abounded, grace abounded more. See, the point of it is, grace is bigger than sin. It's bigger, it's greater, it's more powerful than sin. And anything that sin does... Grace can come along and say, I've got that covered. I got it covered. Let's go back in the Bible to Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. God said, Adam, you know what? I'm going to give you this whole garden. It's everything's yours. It's all yours. Enjoy everything in this garden except this one tree in the middle of the garden, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. And you know the story. Adam must have almost made a beeline to it. And he ate from it. And our first parents sinned. We inherited this sin. But let me tell you something. Grace is greater than all of my sin. All of it. Grace is greater. Let's go further. I'm going to turn a page. Turn about one page in your Bible to Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. I want to see if you can identify with this because I don't know about you, I can, and I'm sure others in here can too. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Paul's writing this, by the way. Keep in mind, the Apostle Paul is writing this. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. Anybody have any trouble with this uh, passage? You know, I want to do what's right. I know what's right, and yet I don't do it. I don't want to say those things. I know I should say those things, but I said those things. I don't want to do that stuff, and yet I did that stuff. I don't want to ask. I, I, I want my attitude to change, yet my attitude is crummy. And I need to change it. And I can't seem to do it. Goes on, verse 16, if then... I do what I will not do. I agree with the law that it's good, but now it is no longer I do it, but sin that dwells in me. Boy, Paul is getting to the heart of this thing now. He said, look, it's not your attitude. It's just not your mind. It's sin. It's sin. And I want to take you, run down to verse 25 real quick. I thank God through Jesus Christ the Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law with of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's all jump up, run around the room three times, and say, thank God for that verse. Thank God it's in the Bible. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm glad he put that in there. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
I am free. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I honestly believe this. If you will let God absolutely pound that into your mind and into your spirit, it is absolutely the most liberating thing that you can do in your entire life to realize that I am free. And my freedom means I can live for God and serve him and do so. Hallelujah. It works. This stuff works. The power that must come, this power comes from outside yourself, by the way. I want you to understand this. It, and it's grace that's going to introduce this power of God to your life. Listen to me. God delivered John Newton. Was it because John Newton got swept back on that deck? <clears throat> and because he'd been soaking in the water in the sea for a little while, he was a clean guy and nice guy, and his filthy mouth was not good, and, and his sinful ways, they all vanished. No, John Newton was still the crummy, vile sinner when he landed back on that deck. But when he cried out to God, guess what happened? Right there it activated the grace and the power of God that penetrated this vile, wicked, hard heart and transformed this guy. He was delivered by the power of grace. You cannot do that because you're bound in sin, and sin is what blocks the access to God. It's God's work. It's God's forgiveness. You know, people build walls around their lives. Walls of sin, walls of disobedience, walls, you name it, they build it. And the grace of God does not penetrate those walls until whoever, the prisoner on the inside of those walls, cries out to God and says, God, forgive me. And at that point, it's like, it's like a doubled-up fist that punches a hole through that wall, and in comes that flood of grace, that flood of the power of God that begins to transform that life. I know many people just like that. Make up excuses for them. This, that, and everything, and all that stuff. It means nothing until you simply say, I cry out to God, change my life, make me a new person. I'm lost, I don't know which way to turn, etc., etc. There's something else I want you to see, and it comes from an Old Testament book of Zechariah. And as I was preparing this message, this thing came thundering into my mind. In Zechariah chapter 4, <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 6, I think is one of the great verses of the entire Bible. And it's found right here, which simply says, uh, it, it tells us that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by might. Not by might means it's not the strength of an army. That's what that word means. It's not might means the strength of an army nor by power or the strength of me. It's not my strength. It's not the strength of an army. It's the strength and the power of God. God's spirit 
that powers into your life, that moves upon you. The writer Zachariah is saying that all of the combined strength of man, including yourself, cannot advance, it cannot accomplish the purpose of God or anything like that. Uh, and anything that God wants to do, it is going to be by the powers. Let me tell you something. The early church is a great example of this. You know, sometimes I, I get a little, I'm bothered by how the church runs sometimes. I think we think it should run like, uh, like the federal government. Okay, you guys didn't even get that one. <laughs> you got it, thank you. First row over there. I mean, the federal government's a total mess. And I think sometimes we try to run the church the same way. We, say, we set up this committee, we do this strategic planning and this strategic planning and all of this stuff. Have we forgotten that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit that things go forward in the work of God? We forget that. We overlook that. We cook up our plans. We cook up our things. We shove it up in the wall and say, oh God, by the way, bless that. And I think sometimes God says, I'm not going to do that either. I'm not even going to touch that. That's a bad plan. Well, I'm off the point here a little bit. Not far, but a little. That's why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he's talking about the church. He says, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And that's the only mandate the church had. That's it. Right there. There's your strategic plan. Circle it. Do it. This is how the church is built. This is how the church grows. It is by my spirit. Amen. Those should be very rich in comforting words, especially to those individuals who might be struggling with supersized odds in their life. They're so big. You know, I look at LifeGate every day. Not every day, every hour. No, not every hour, about every minute. I said, the odds. It's huge. But I remember. God is bigger than all that stuff. He's bigger. And it is not by might or by power. It's by his spirit. I'm looking forward to that. You are finding ways too difficult. You don't have the power, the resources to push ahead. Take these words. Apply them in your life. Not by might, but by my spirit. Apply them. Put them in your life. Ask God, ask God, place your spirit in my life so that my understanding is complete and full and that the resource comes from you and not by what might be out here. It's more than a verse, it's a victory. And the work of the spirit of God, it is in him and it's the amazing grace of God 
that comes around you. One of the things, and I don't want us to, you know, sometimes, sometimes we look at this, uh, this little phrase that we have and we say, well, what's the grace of God? And we say, well, it's the unmerited favor of God. And that's true. That's, that's okay. I, I have no problem with that. But you know what? It's not only the unmerited favor of God, but it's the, it's the trigger that releases the power of God in your life. It literally is. Grace has power. Grace has authority. And it releases the things of God that comes in our lives. It is his favor that comes into our lives. You know, the life and ministry of Jesus was one that was constantly surrounded by a crowd. Have you noticed that as you read your New Testament and the Gospel? Everywhere Jesus, there was a crowd. I can think of only two times where Jesus didn't have a crowd. Gethsemane and the cross. No crowds there. Everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds. He sat down to teach his disciples, 12 guys. He went on this little hillside. I'm going to talk to these 12 guys. I'm going to kind of give them some of the fundamentals of what it means to be in ministry. And before I knew it, 5,000 people had gathered around him. 5,000 people had gathered around Jesus. He walked by the seashore. The crowds followed him everywhere. One day he had to get, actually get in a little boat and push off the shore because they were practically ready to shove him into the water. So he found this little boat and borrowed it and pushed out 10, 15 feet. Also he got into a little boat one day and thought, I'm going to get away from these crowds. I'm going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when he got to the other side, guess what? I don't think they had cell phones in those days or anything, but somebody, somebody got the word out, and there was a crowd that was ready to meet him. They wanted to hear about Jesus. He was teaching in a house one day, and the house was just absolutely jam-packed with people. People on the outside were trying to listen through the windows. There was even some guys on the roof that were trying to, trying to listen. What is this guy saying? And all of that. One day Jesus was walking and, and again the usual crowds and they were pressing in, you know. It was just, you know, we see this on television sometimes with celebrities and all of this stuff, but they were pressing in. And a woman. The Bible says this woman had been sick for 12 years. She had virtually used up all of her money on doctors and cures and medicines Nothing was working. She continued in her sickness, in her weakness. But she had something going for her, and that was, that was the idea. If I can get close to Jesus, and if I can just touch the, literally the hem of his garment, God will do something in my life. God will bring a healing in my life. And that's what she did. That's determination. Here's a sick woman, a weak woman, not well at all, and she was somehow able to press into that crowd. And she got close to Jesus. She touched his garment. And Jesus stopped. You remember this? Jesus stopped, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples kind of laughed, and 
The disciples said, well, look, everybody's trying to touch you. I mean, you're in a crowd and all of this stuff. He said, someone touched me with faith. And a woman steps forward, it was me. I touched you. And what did he say? Woman, your faith has made you whole. Grace came in contact with power. And at that moment, this woman who had been sick for 12 years was healed immediately and miraculously by God. This is the amazing grace of God. Janet, would you come back, please? Here's my point. When real faith comes in contact with Jesus, the grace and the favor of God, and all of the riches of heaven become immediately available to that person. This is what I want you to take home today. I want you to take this home. This is the heart and soul. This is the nuts and bolts of this message. As that when faith comes in contact with Jesus and the grace and the favor of God become immediately available. And it's grace that connected God's power. And it was a great healing. Folks, this, this stuff that happened in this book isn't just for this book. It's for us. This is for us. God, did, God didn't do this just say, here, I'm going to show you something I can do. I think he's saying, here's something you can do too. Here's something that I want you to take advantage of. Do you really think this, this woman had any more faith than anybody else in this room? I don't. I'm pretty sure she was determined. Somehow she got through that crowd. Do you really think that guy in Acts chapter 3 that had been lame, that was sitting on the side of the street and crying out, begging? Peter and John walked by. He said, we don't have any silver, we don't have any gold. But in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. A guy who had been lame for years stood up and he walked. He walked. Do you really think that guy had any more faith than you did? I don't. Why would a guy that's been lame for years and years and years have any more faith than you? I mean, he'd been turned down so many times that his life was a life of being a beggar. I hope I get enough money today so I can get something to eat. That's it. That's it. That's the goal of his life. That's all. And I want to declare this to you, that God can work in your life in exactly the same way. There is no difference. None. Ask him. He wants to walk with you. He really does. So the same Jesus that healed this woman is with us today in that same grace, that same power, is with us today. Are you familiar with this little song? I've heard it all of my Christian life. There's room at the cross for you. 
Let's just sing the chorus only. Just the chorus. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross. Amen. Ira Stanfield wrote that song a year before I was born, and it's still true today. Millions have come, but there's room for one. Always room for one. That's the point of this message. There's room for one. And that's you. Whatever your need, whatever, whatever the thing it is in your life that you need to bring before God this morning, there's room for you. And I tell you this, this is the thing I know about Jesus. He's not going to shut the door. He's not going to say, turn away. You're not good enough. You've not prayed enough. You've not been in church enough. And all of these other things that we, we, we sort of come up in our heads. There's room. Come on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that there is room. Truly, there is room for us at the cross. We thank you for the truth of those words. We thank you for the truth of your amazing grace. It's true, we don't deserve anything. In fact, we deserve a lot of, a lot of punishment because we got it coming to ourselves. Father, I pray, for, I pray for people this morning that struggle with their Christian walk or maybe they're not even a Christian at all. Father, this would be a great day for them to take this message and say, I want to apply this to my life, to my heart. I want to be a Christian. I'm not talking about a Christian in name only. I'm talking about the real thing, a real follower of Jesus. Believing on Jesus with all of your heart, walking with him, learning, growing in your faith, submitting to him. Not your own stuff, but I'm really submitting to God. Father, I pray, help somebody to make that kind of a decision this morning. Help somebody, to, help somebody to literally step out in faith and say, Pastor, you talked about me all the way through this thing. It was me. I'm the guy, I'm the gal that you talked about. Help me today. Father, I pray that they will look only to you, not to a preacher, not to anything else, but only to you. And say, Jesus, come into my heart and into my life. I need redemption today. I'm turning from my sin. I may not be as bad as John Newton, but I'm bad because I'm a sinner. I want to know Jesus. Help me to simply say, Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a brand new person. It starts today. It starts today. I don't need just a do-over, Father. I need a new heart. The one that's living in me is bad, and I want a new one. 
Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for people that battle a variety of things in their lives. Maybe unforgiveness. Maybe a variety of sins that sometimes we kind of call them polite sins or little sins. Well, little or not, they sent you to the cross with it. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being casual. And help us, Father. Help us, Father, to know the power and the grace of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just uh, make one remark here before we leave, and then we'll, we'll stand. Just give me a minute. I, uh, I, I don't know, probably about a month ago, I, I, said, I think I said something to the effect that there is a massive spiritual warfare that's going on right now. I've got to believe that about 98% of the people in here may not recognize that too well. I've never went through such a hellish week as the last seven days. Okay? I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure a few of you have too because I, I get a phone call once in a while. That's a part of the deal. I understand that. I'm not complaining. But I am asking, we have got to bring this before God. And I'm not just saying, dear Lord, protect us from the enemy. <clears throat> I think the enemy just blows that kind of prayer off like we have a gnat on our arm. Get off of me. We need some prayer warriors that know how to pray a little warfare prayer. I mean real warfare. Real prayer. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of darkness in high wickedness places. You know, they could put a picket line out here in front of the church. That's no big deal. Who cares? The church isn't going to be hurt by that. What hurts the church is the stuff that goes on the inside of it. And if you don't think the devil doesn't understand that and know that, then I've got, you know, I've got some, I have palm trees for sale in the garage of my house, and I'll sell them to you. And uh, all of that stuff. He destroys from the inside. He destroys. The enemy can't touch this place from the outside. He does it from the inside. Get it? Stand with me. Stand with me and pray with me, okay? Let's lift our hands. Let's do that. We're victorious people, folks. We walk in victory. Father, I thank you that we do walk in the victory of God. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and let the redeemed of the Lord declare it and say so. Father, our lives is not held in our own hands, but they're held in your hands. You are greater, you are more powerful, your grace is more amazing than we could even imagine, and your spirit has so much power, we, we can't even comprehend it. So Father, I pray, may you blanket our lives with your power, with your amazing grace. Help us to love one another, help us to enjoy the fruit and the wonder of your, of your life 
We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.